the two characters I want to look at are this, this woman and uh, the synagogue ruler Jairus. So uh, go with me. And there's there's the two characters, and they have three traits that I think are really kind of cool. They uh, they both went after Christ because they were spiritually bankrupt. Um, and then the second thing is they, they both believed in his power. Uh, Jesus was more than a man. He, there was something about him. Uh, and then they both recognized his authority. When he, when he spoke, they responded. They did something. Um, and so let's look at the woman. Look at verse uh, 25 and 26. It says this. A large earth. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Um, so you see her bankruptcy, right? And, and I kind of feel like this correlates. And I'm going to talk in two ways tonight. I'm going to try to be like spiritual, but then I'm going to be real practical. Because um, people get, they get mad at me if I just talk spiritual. Uh, they want practicality. Um, so, I think we do this. Exactly what this woman does. How many of you guys, uh, you know, you set up a routine for your Christianity? You know, you really structure yourself out. You know, you make all this like, well, I need to not do this, and I need to be this, and I need to, I need to read this, and if I don't read, and you create this like structure for your Christianity, and you try to heal yourself, right? You guys ever have struggles that you try to fix? And you try and you try and you like make try to do all this stuff. And this is the same thing this woman's doing. She's trying to fix herself. And we do this all the time. I do this in my own stuff. Like like I have lots of struggles and I try to like uh, formulize them. Like okay, well I need to stop doing this and I need to start doing this. And I'll I really and it's a genuinely I want to do it and I'll and I'll have this heart and I'll start to do that and then I'll fail and I'll be like gosh I'm such a piece of crap and blah 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 and then you'll read Ephesians 2 8 and 9 and you're like wait a second what am I doing anybody know that verse somebody's got it memorized I can say it louder by grace you've been saved through faith and it's not from yourself not yeah, it's such. I mean, that's awesome. But we we memorize that, but we don't participate in that. Gosh, I mean, I, maybe I, maybe it's not. Maybe you guys do. Maybe I don't. But this is how I feel. Like I, you know, I, I really formalize my Christianity. I got to do certain things, otherwise I'm not a good Christian. How I many guys ever feel like you're not a good Christian or not a good Christ follower? I I, I feel like that a lot. Uh, and here's this woman, and she's the same way. My life sucks. I'm not even a good human being. Um, and then you see this. Uh, okay, this is, uh, this is a quote. So I don't know if you guys like quotes, but here it is. C.S. Lewis. The main thing we learn from a serious attempt at practicing the Christian virtues is that we fail. That's kind of, I was like, that's kind of sucky. But it's kind of beautiful at the same time. We're completely dependent. Like, that's, I mean, it sucks to be dependent because you don't want to be dependent on your parents, you know. You don't want to be dependent on, like, your wife to cook dinner for you all the time. So when you're, like, home alone and you're single and you have nothing to eat. But, like, you know, like, like you, we pride ourselves on being independent. Uh, but the truth is we're completely dependent. And if you're not, you miss out. Um, and so it's not about uh, you know what we're doing; it's about who we're going to. Your Christianity can't be about what you're doing. If it's about what you're doing, that sucks. It's about where you're at. 
and who you're going to. Uh, okay, practical. This is this is fun. I don't know, this should, should be fun. So this woman, she's subject to bleeding for 12 years, and she spends everything she has. So she's like going to all these crazy doctors. She's changing. She's changing. She's changing. She's like, okay, this doesn't work. I gotta change what I'm doing. This doesn't work. I gotta change what I'm doing. I gotta find something that works. And I think this is beautiful. Like this is probably one of the coolest parts of the whole thing. She changed. It saddens me that we all look so similar. She changed. She says, look, there's a problem, and i got to fix it. There's a problem, i got to fix it. And there's a problem, i got to fix it. And she's changing and changing and changing and changing. And she's doing whatever it takes to be in the place where God's moving in her life. <coughs> and that's the question. It's like, how often do we, we have the same struggles? And we say, oh, okay, well, I'll just do what someone else is doing. Well, I'll just do what someone else is doing because they work for them. Or how many of us have, like, clubs? And I hear, like, we'll talk about club. Well, my club, it's just, like, not working and, like, this stuff. Well, change it. Like, do something different. If something's not working in your Bible study, change. And keep changing and keep changing and keep changing and keep morphing and change and change. And eventually, you're going to be bankrupt. And you're going to say, God, I don't know what to do anymore. Have you guys ever been at that point with your Bible study? I don't, I'm so frustrated. I've tried everything. Can you say that? Can you say you've tried everything that you've spent all you had to present the gospel to these students? And when you get to that point, then you say, God, I don't know what else to do. You help me. Because when you get to that point, then stuff really changes. And then you get to this point where you're desperate. See, when you move to that place is when you're really going to see some cool changes in your students and in your own life. Desperation. Okay. Look at the, look at verses uh, 27 and 29. Cool stuff there. So when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she felt her body that she was free from the suffering. Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, so someone turn to Matthew 7, 7 and 8. So here's this woman, and she's she's like, I just I, I gotta I gotta get close to Jesus because this is like my last shot, which I kind of think is such a cool thing. She's like seeking after God, uh, and, and I kind of uh, Matthew seven seven and eight says what? Asking will be given to you. And you'll find knocking and will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks will be Okay, this is cool because he's actually speaking to people that are following him. Like Jesus, is this is a sermon on the mount, and he's talking to his disciples. So he's telling, hey, seek. Hey, search. Look for me. And you'll find me. So these are the people that are following him. See, I think. And this is totally stolen. This is our own McManus. Like, that when we meet Christ, we're like, oh, I'm there. I've arrived. I'm there. Spirituality. You know, it's there. I'm feeling it. But, and we stop seeking. And we stop trying to find what God's doing in our lives. I don't know. Maybe you guys don't do that. But I do that. I do that tons, man. I just totally stop, like, searching after the Lord. Do you guys do that? Never mind. Maybe no. Yes. Thank you. That was a Bueller moment. And you... 
stepped up. <laughs> but I don't know. That's what I do. You know, and God has called us to be consummate seekers, to be people that search after the Lord. Are you looking to connect to God? And are you looking like you're actually searching? Like, that's kind of a cool word. He's like, you're searching, searching for the Lord. And here's this woman. And you imagine all these people pressed up against him. And she, it's like a celebrity fight. She's like weaving her way in to like take a lock of Britney Spears' hair. That's the idea. She's like fighting her way. She's searching out the Lord. Are you doing that? Are you fighting your way through the crowd to steal a lock of Jesus' hair? Okay. That's spiritual. Who's practical? She has really bad theology, just so you guys know. Let me listen, let, listen to her theology. Ready? If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Jesus never said that. You know, you know that? Like, he never, ever, ever said that. Have you guys ever like been at campaigners and like, and I'm terrible at this, and, this, and like you ask a question and a student responds and they're like completely wrong, and you're like, and it's like this awkward moment where you have to correct them. <laughs> like, I don't think that's what it means. And you got, you know. And I'll tell you a quick story of bad theology. When I was uh, when I was in high school, my young life leader, Devin, he goes, hey, you need to spend more time with God than anything else you do. And I was like, cool. Except it wasn't that cool because it was two-day soccer then. And I was, I'm spending four hours playing soccer. And in my brain, this is my theology, spending time with God was reading the Bible. So I was like, holy crap, i got to read the Bible for five hours. This is going to be terrible. And I did. Man, I freaking read it for five. I promise you, there's no lie. I'd get home from soccer and I would just cry. I would basically read until the next soccer practice. And then I'd go to soccer practice and I'd be like, gosh, whew, done reading. I can actually play tonight. And if I didn't get done, I'd go home and I'd read more and I wouldn't go out that night. It was terrible theology, right? That's bad. That's like not true, right? Completely changed me. Changed everything I am. I know so much scripture from that time in my life. For two weeks, I read the Bible for five hours a day. Completely changed everything I was. And here's this woman. Same thing. Terrible theology. Great heart. See, God could care less about whether it's free will or Calvinism, blah, 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 blah. Like, where's your heart? See, when your heart's in the right spot, God says, I... I can work through all that other stuff. So, here's the practical application. Quit wasting your time trying to get every nuance of your Christianity right and actually get your heart right and everything else will fall into place. Says God says, I can honor a right heart quicker than I can honor a right mind. In fact, that was his entire bait with the, the Pharisees. Your heart's not right. You, you can have all the right theology you want, but your heart. It's about your heart. Practical. Um, look, at the, look at verse 30 and 34. And once Jesus realized that power had gone out of him, he turned around uh, in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? And you see the people crowded around you. His disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept on looking around to see who had done it. Um, and then he goes on, the woman knowing what had happened. Uh, so this is a cool point, again, stolen. 
so there's all these people pushed against Jesus, completely just pushed up against him, right? And yet Jesus turns around, who touched me? Interesting. It's not about where you are geographically close to Jesus. It's about where your heart is. You could be right pressed up against the God of the universe, and it makes no difference if your heart isn't in the right position. Here's this woman, and her heart's in the right position, and all she needed was an instant to change her life because her heart was right. She was desperate for God. Are you seeking God? Are you desperate for Him? It doesn't matter that you come here every week because if you come here every week and you're like, well, uh, there's not, I'm not going to get anything. It's boring every week because everyone else talks. And I don't really get anything because it's like super, like, lots of songs, and I get sick of hearing the songs. Look, if you get sick of hearing, like, singing the songs, then speak the songs in your brain. Do something else. Start connecting to God. Because it's not about where you're at. It's about where your heart is at. Okay, so then, the woman, so she touches her clothes, and then Jesus is like, no, who touched me, blah, blah, blah. Um, and Jesus says this, his daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from yourself. It's such a cool like interaction. And we'll come back to that. So now, um, now we'll look at the second guy. So... Um, Look at verse uh, 22 and 23. So we're going reverse. Then a synagogue ruler named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. Now, fast forward and we see the woman, knowing what had happened, came to him, fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the truth. You see this pattern here? So we read the story, so you know God's going to do something in this guy's life. But notice the pattern. He fights his way through a crowd, because if you look at verse 21, again, he crossed over the boat the other side of the lake. A large crowd gathered around him while he was at the lake. Then the synagogue ruler, Jairus, came there, seeing Jesus, fell at his feet, pleaded earnestly with him. You see this. They're both fighting their way to Jesus, seeking him out, and they fall on their knees. What a cool pattern. Are you on your knees before the Lord? Are you on your knees in front of the Lord? Are you desperate? Um, so, just a cool idea. So then he fights his way through the crowd again. Same thing. Okay, so now let's think about Jairus. See, the woman is like how you should interact with Jesus. Like how you should be playing out your life with Jesus. Now, Jairus should be your interaction with Jesus towards your students. So watch him. Then one of the same rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. So this is like this cool moment. Like, are you doing this with for your students, for your friends? Like, these are your friends. Are you on your knees in front of Jesus saying, gosh, help them live. Help them live. See, and here's the thing. When you recognize the desperation in your own life, then you can actually see the desperation in your friends' lives. Because, you know, have you ever noticed that, like, a good basketball player can recognize... Uh, maybe this wouldn't be a good analogy for girls. But, like, as a soccer player, this uh, is so cocky, but uh, this is what I used to do. I used to walk on the soccer field, and I would literally look at everyone. 
and I would like point out who's good in my brain. I'd be like, you're good. You suck. You're good. <laughs> like, no lie. And it was like, you know, I was really accurate because you could just tell by the way someone ball. I don't know. Cocky, but I totally did that. And that's so true. Desperation notices desperation. When you're desperate for God, and you have a desperation in your heart, you will notice the people that are desperate. And so, are you on your feet before you, or on your knees before the Lord, for your friends? Okay, skip ahead. Verse 35 says this. While Jesus was still speaking, some came out from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Okay, so this is a really cool moment. Okay, because if you skip ahead or go reverse, this is right before. So here's Jesus. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be healed from yourself. Okay, so we read the scriptures and it's like really fast because we're trying to get through it because we want to spend all day having a quiet time, you know. But slow down and look at this. So this woman just got healed. And I imagine Jairus is like walking on the hip of Jesus being like, yeah, he's coming to my house. He's going to heal my daughter. It's going to be awesome. He's like pumped. And then Jesus like stops and like does this weird thing. And so now Jairus is like, okay, maybe I shouldn't ask you. You're kind of weird. <laughs> like he's spinning around. Who's touching me? Everyone's touching you. And like he's got to be like, you're kind of weird now. I don't know if I want you at my house. Like my mom's there and my, my dad and my brother-in-law. This is going to be awkward. I don't know. This is what I think when I'm reading it. So maybe this is a picture of my brain. Uh, so then, Jairus has got to be like, dude, this guy's kind of weird. But then all of a sudden, this woman who just got healed comes up, and it says that she tells her story. Have you guys ever been at, like, camp, and, like, someone tells this, like, gut-wrenching story, and, like, everyone everyone in the room just, like, starts tearing up? Have you guys ever been there? Like, at a moment at camp like that? That's what this is like. But, like, times 10, she's been bleeding her whole life. She's like... And I, I, I've been bleeding. I've, I've spent everything. I don't even have. A, I don't even have a house. My parent, my mom, and dad disowned me. I can't get a husband. I'm bleeding. It's nasty. No one likes me. And then I just thought maybe if I touched you, I'd be healed. And then I was. And she's got to be bawling, crying. And she, she's telling the story. And then Jesus. And then Jairus. Like so, Jairus was like, "Okay, you're weird." And then she's telling the story. And he's like, "Holy crap! This is awesome. He could actually do it." Like, he could actually heal my daughter. So now he's, like, getting this, like, excitement inside of him, I imagine. He's like, yes! Totally got the right guy. Sorry about that before when I thought you were weird. But now, yeah, I'm in. And so now, Jesus says this, Daughter, your faith is healed. You go in peace and be free from your suffering. While Jesus was speaking, so while he's saying this, so this is, like, the movie moment. This is, like, when, like, the lights are behind him. It's like, oh! It's like, and then all of a sudden you hear, Grr! and then this guy says this. So while Jesus was still speaking, Jairus, uh, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, says, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? I was like, bam, stabbed in the stomach. It's like, so he's getting like super pumped. He's like, I actually believe he can do this. And someone just jabs him in the stomach with his knife and says, daughter's dead. You guys ever been there? You guys ever have this like belief? that God's going to do something and then it just like train wrecks you guys ever like just try to run club and like 10 people show up ever happen to you guys I had to me at, B- at Boom once that sucks so bad it's so hard what do you do it's like total like you're believing in God your heart's in the right spot you get nothing <clears throat> and so here's what Jesus does ignoring what they said Jesus told the senior ruler, 
Don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe. See, have you guys ever heard this saying? Like, oh, we're going to lay a fleece before the Lord. And um, the answer is, then we'll, we know that he's for us and we're going to do this. You guys ever heard that? That's the dumbest freaking statement. Have you ever read the story that that's a, that get involved with? It's so stupid. Like the guy, the guy totally doesn't trust God, so he lays his fleece before God and says, "Oh, you know, I don't, I don't believe that. Uh, so I'm gonna lay this fleece down, and you know, if you answer me, and then." And God totally answers him. He goes, well, I don't believe you guys. I'm going to do it again. So he has to do it again. such a weenie. <laughs> like, not a conqueror of faith. Don't lay a fleece before the Lord anymore. That's so stupid. Gosh. <laughs> don't ever say that. That's such a dumb statement. <laughs> but, you know, here, have you guys ever, like, had, like, been praying for something, and you're like, gosh, I, I really want this to happen, Lord, and then it doesn't? And you say, well, that just must be God telling you that it's not going to happen. I mean, you know what I do in those situations? See, like, I I have, like, these crazy dumb stuff that I think of. And, like, I'll start to pursue it. And, be like, and then, like, something bad will happen I can't do anymore. Instead of saying, oh, well, God must not want that to happen, I actually go, okay, God, well, if you really don't want it to happen, I'm going to do it again. And if you really don't want me to do it, stop me. And so I'm going to go do it again. Because if my heart's in the right spot, I'm going to go do it. And so I keep going, and then if he stops me again, then I do it again. Because if my heart's right, then I'm going to pursue it. And God can eventually say, Dan, you're such an idiot. Seriously, stop. Because if we believe God's big enough to stop us once, why couldn't he stop us again and again? So if you want to run a club of 400 and your heart's in the right spot, why would you stop pursuing that ever? If you want to go feed orphans in Africa because you want them to know the love of God and you can't get a ticket, well, keep trying. God's big enough to stop you again and 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 again. Because if He can stop you once, He can stop you forever. If your heart's in the right spot, go after it. Change the world. Give your life away. Don't lay a fleece before the Lord because you don't trust Him that He's big enough to do something. Go change the world. And if he wants to stop you, he will. Okay, that was practical. So, look at verse 36. Oh, sorry, I already went there. It says, <laughs> don't be afraid, just believe. How cool is that statement? Like, what a cool, like, mantra. Don't be afraid, just believe. That's so cool. Have you guys ever, like, believed in students like that? Like, I was talking to Eric, and I totally believe this is true. Like, I have four guys that I'm discipling, and I completely, and I had this, vi- I'm painting the other day, and I completely had this vision, and I shared it with them. It's like, how cool would it be if we took all of Beachwood, all 400 students to camp? Like, how cool would that, that would be so awesome. And so then I start praying about it, and I go to our, like, little Bible study with those four guys, and I say, hey guys, let me tell you what I thought up. This would be so awesome. I had this vision. And I say, hey, if there's anybody that can do it, it's you guys, because I believe in you. I believe in what God's doing inside of you. Do you believe it? Don't be afraid. Just believe and dream. Dream big. So uh, then let's look at the end of the story. So then you go and he goes and he does the miracle. He did not let any of them follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother James. Uh, when they came to his home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw the commotion, people crying and wailing loudly, 
he went in and said to them, while the commotion and the wailing, the child is not dead, but asleep. It's hilarious how he compares sleeping and death. You know, you guys sleep a lot. Maybe you're just like a mini death, wasting your time. Anyways. <laughs> but he laughed at him. After he put them all out, he looked at the child's father and mother and disciples who were with him, um, or who, who went with him where the child was. He took, the, he took her by the hand and said to her some words, which mean, little girl, I say to you, get up. <coughs> Immediately she stood up and walked around. It, it's just such a cool story. I mean, can you imagine being Jairus? Have you guys ever been at this moment where Jesus takes the heart of a student and wakes them up? Like, that's such a cool moment. He takes a student by the heart and says, wake up and be alive. Wouldn't it be fun to participate in that? That's such a fun experience. But we have to say, yeah, those punches in the stomach, they don't matter to me because I'm going to ignore them. And I'm going to step into this place where I can love my friends so wildly that God says, wake up. Wake up. So you guys want to wake up the world? There's like 50 of us in here. There was 12 of them. This is so cool if we just said, hey, world, wake up. Let's come alive. I don't know. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm in, if you guys are in. Let's do this. So let me pray, and we'll get out of here.